Welcome to Capital Conversations, a podcast of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. I'm Matthew Hawkins. Joining me at the Leland House on Capitol Hill are Travis Wiseau and Jeff Pickering. We're going to chat about what we're seeing on Capitol Hill last week and this week. Gentlemen, welcome back. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt. Especially Jeff. It's been a while. It has been a while. Not since we did the intern episode, I think, maybe. Yep, yep. And uh, the first episode of Capital Conversations that I was on, I talked about how the Houston Astros had gotten off to an awesome oh, start. Oh, no. And since then, I should have known. the Houston Astros have won a world championship. Yeah, okay, get it out. And Gary is an Astros fan, so I know this will make it onto the episode. Go Astros. <laughs> Fair enough. We'll let it you happened. That are you, are you Travis, yet? Travis said, I just have one more thing to say. Travis said <laughs> they would break my heart. You can go back and find this on the episode. I, I think I remember that. And I said, you know what? I, I don't think they are going to do that this year. You defended them. Yeah. I, I'm surprised I you haven't. Today, you don't have an orange tie on. There's orange in this tie. Mm, <laughs> not, not as bright as there last is. week. Well, no, <laughs> because well, Jeff, I wore Jeff the same blue and orange tie the entire World Series <laughs> can, and the rest of the weeks, folks. Okay. Glad to be back. This episode is brought to you not by the uh, Houston Astros, but by the 2018 Evangelicals for Life Conference co-hosted by the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. That's us and our friends at Focus on the Family, along with a whole lot of other allies. We hope you'll come march with us this January as we stand up for life in Washington, D.C. and stay for our Evangelicals for Life conference. Learn more at evangelicals.life and use promo code CC20 to save 20% on registration. That's evangelicals.life on the web. Gentlemen, what are we going to talk about today? Well, I was out of the office last week. So Matt, why don't you start us off with a discussion about, I mean, there were Last week was a crazy week. I picked the crazy gr- week. Yeah, I picked Washington. the the greatest week to be out of the country. <laughs> just when it was getting interesting. Just when it was getting interesting. I, I had this sort of sneaking suspicion as I my my wife and I were in Germany last week, and I had this sneaking suspicion that that it was going to be uh, a crazy one as we were getting on the plane, and it certainly was. So let's we there were several several moving parts last week. Matt, get us caught up to speed. I know that last week you guys did a pod on the adoption tax credit. Yep. The credit has been restored. What what happened last week? So two Thursdays ago, about like you said, before you uh, left the country, the House Ways and Means Committee issued a plan to uh, reform taxes, which is about a once in a lifetime opportunity for the U.S. government. And among those changes, many of which um, you know folks right of center really like, was they were planning to eliminate something called the adoption tax credit. It's something that is really important to adoptive families. Uh, the costs, of, as people know, of adoption can be astronomical, tens of thousands of dollars, uh, sometimes twenty to $40,000, 70 to $80,000 for international adoptions, depending upon the situation. Uh, and so the federal government for many years now has a tax credit that is uh, in the category of what they call non-refundable that families can use to defray some of that cost off their tax bill um, as a way to incentivize adoption. It's been part of the tax code or part of uh, the statutes for about 20 years. It started started small and kind of grew right now. It's I think it's it's like thirteen five something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's thirteen thousand five hundred dollars uh, approximately um, that families can use up. That's the limit. Uh, families can use up to that amount uh, over the course of like five years, and then. Uh, Adoptive families of special needs children can claim actually the whole thing um, mm-hmm. to help defray some of those costs. So, so that Thursday, the House Ways and Means Committee issued what what they called their first mark of their tax reform bill, made it public for the first time. That commenced the markup period uh, that lasted about a week 
almost to the day. And uh, that was the time frame for the American public and uh, all of us NGOs to chime in and uh, explain what we like. Open liked season. And, open season. That's a good word for it. I was, <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to be less violent, but open season works for those in the hunting yeah. community. It was funny um, when they announced – when they rolled it out, like, here's our proposal, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Yeah. The news is on, and they say, and now is when all of these special interest groups will begin marching to Capitol Hill to lay out their case. Yeah. And it was right about then that you were actually headed out the door <laughs> <laughs> with our letter it, in a true. folder. Right. Making so, our case on behalf of adoptive families. Right. So the ERLC, we convened really speedily. Like that Friday, Travis had uh, convened a letter with Russell Moore um, and a number of pro-life allies, including Susan B. Anthony List, March for Life, Concerned Women for America, some adoption groups, Students for Life. And we delivered that to the chairman's office that Friday evening, waited the weekend, then re-engaged Monday. And, uh, you know, by and large the tax reform plan was really well-received by NGOs and pro-life folks, including the March for Life actually published an op-ed talking about how, broadly speaking, there were a number of pro-family, pro-life-related measures included in that. But there was one, this one tax credit, the adoption tax credit, among many other tax credits that were about to get eliminated by the initial draft. Um, not everybody agreed with that on the Hill, and so we were able to engage constructively and, frankly, be, be fairly determined about uh, protecting that adoption tax credit. Uh, a lot people engaged. Uh, you saw op-eds published in National Review, Weekly Standard, a lot of folks uh, publishing on, on social media, asking mm -hmm. for them to keep it. There wasn't one adoption group that said, yeah, you can get rid of it. Not a big deal. Yeah, not a big deal to us. Um, so that was kind of the context. And uh, we're very grateful and uh, excited that the uh, committee ended up figuring out a way to make it work and uh, reinstituted or basically rescinded that elimination. Right. Um, so you know, they, they put it back in. They put it back in. Yeah, so, right. Uh, as of now, both the House version and the Senate version of the tax reform proposal retains the – Retains the, the re adoption tax credit. That's correct. I think last week was a, was a really great example of what can happen when every – when every level down to the individual constituents who are maybe going through the process of adopting a child into their home, when, when they write letters, when they phoned their congressmen, when adoption groups were, were right. running grassroots efforts, when, when groups um, that have radio shows were you know, reaching millions of people talking about this, and then groups like, like the ERLC were meeting uh, with people that we have personal relationships with on the Hill. And you saw all of those things working uh, really – I mean, together in a sense, like there was some coordination yeah. uh, here in D.C. among all of those groups. Uh, but really, it was just everybody was engaged on an issue that yeah. we all cared a lot about and knew was important. Uh, and it was really neat to see that really within a week, within less than a week, because it was from Friday right. to that next Thursday, that that credit was was restored. And um, people spoke up and they were heard. And it made a difference. Yeah. And it yeah. was uh, it was really cool to be a part of. I, I think you're right about that. It was it was very much a moment where the advocacy community and uh, the grassroots were in sync and on message and united. And uh, you're right, there was some coordination and, uh, to the extent that our groups were, you know, touching base with each other on a kind of a regular frequency yeah. and making sure we were kind of all on the same page and still kind of agreeing on uh, – both policy and, and position and right. strategy. And then we'd kind of go work, work our other angles. And we uh, collectively got the thing done. It was a pretty, pretty neat and uh, energetic week. 
Yeah, yeah no definitely. And it was a good it was a good example of what it looks like for Christians to engage in in public policy. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And I think you know one one of the things that we've been we've been talking about this week is is we've been kind of debriefing from from everything that happened last week is remembering that you know I mean Chairman Brady himself is an adoptive father. Yeah, and sure. you know a number of the vocal folks who supported its removal were are themselves very pro-adoption. Yeah. Pro-adoption. Pro-life. Yeah. Exactly. This was and, not hostility towards adoption. Right. Exactly. And and I think, you know, in some ways, kind of to your point, Jeff, about Christian engagement, I think from, you know, certainly from the engagement I was able to do before leaving town and from, you know, the engagement that I saw on the other side, you know, there was no questioning of each other's motives, you know, that yeah. sort of, you right. know, that, that kind of mudslinging. I mean, I, you know, obviously things get heated in the in the midst of uh, in the midst of a debate like this, um, especially when we're you know, especially one where you've got time pressure and and the and you know the the vote is coming up. Yeah, all kinds of pressure. Like like we talked, the uh, you know, it's not often the U.S. government gets an opportunity to reform the tax code no this doubt. dramatically. Plus, they have to get something through the reconciliation process in the Senate uh, yeah. to get just fifty-one votes. So that adds process pressures. Yeah. Uh, so it was the whole thing was already pressurized. <laughs> without the adoption thing. Yeah. And then you add that to it, people are going, wait a minute. We actually do think the government has an interest in incentivizing people to adopt and helping defray the cost a little bit. Uh, yeah, right. It's, That's right. The government has a moral interest to oversee right. uh, adoption processes and it's beneficial to the government in the long run, uh, fiscally, yeah, um, definitely. kids, orphans are adopted into healthy families. Yeah. Right. So Matt, another big thing that was going on last week is, uh, there was another, sort of series of coordinated rallies and events around the Conscience Protection Act. We've talked about that before yep. on the podcast, but but give us a high-level view of, of what the CPA does, why it's important, and where things stand right now. Sure. You have a situation in the, in the country right now in some particular states that are more problematic than others, but basically uh, you have a situation where in some contexts, people who are pro-life and also medical providers, be they doctors or nurses, are forced to participate in abortion procedure that they find unethical against their convictions. Right. That's a breach of their conscience or religious beliefs. And if they don't participate, then they face um, career career pressures and negative reflection on their on their resume. Right. That's unconscionable in the U.S. Um, yeah. It used to be something that was uh, at least even part of the pro-choice talking points was you don't have to participate in this if you don't want to. Yeah. But that's happening more and more. And so last week, among some advocacy efforts, we really raised the profile along with some other folks on this something on legislation called the Conscious Protection Act, which seeks to, in federal law, protect the consciences of those who wish to abstain from the abortion. Right. So, if you're, so if you're a nurse or if you're a doctor, what, what this bill would do is give you um, your own, what's called a private right of action, the ability to sue the state or right. to sue the hospital or, or to, to sue whoever is forcing you to participate in abortion and, um, and assert those rights right. in courts of law. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that is so striking to me about this, um, our, our boss and, and Cardinal Dolan put out an op-ed that was, that basically made the argument that if you, if you really want to call yourself pro-choice, then surely that also must include the right to choose not to participate in abortion if you believe that it is if you believe that it's wrong. And I think one of, one of the things to me that is so, I mean, I, I'll just say it. I mean, that to me, that's so disturbing about this whole debate is that 
since the time of Roe v. Wade, there has been a sort of broad cultural, political, legal compromise, which says that abortion is legal, but if you have a moral objection to it or a religious objection to it, you don't have to be a part of it. And that compromise is reflected in a many different ways yeah. in our law. It's, it's, it's reflected in the way that tax dollars aren't used to fund abortions in almost all cases. Uh, it's, it's, uh, the same is true for international aid. And there, you know, there are some issues that have flipped back and forth. The Mexico city policy is one of these, but this, this is a really stunning development that you have states and hospitals telling medical professionals, you don't have the right to opt out of this, even if you find this to be wrong. Um, if you want your job or, you know, in the case of Vanderbilt university, if you want to even become a medical professional in the first place, you've got to get comfortable with this procedure because this is, this is the law of the land. And that's not the way that we as Americans have ever dealt with this issue. And in, in my mind, it's a, it's a disturbing trend and it's disturbing that we even have to have a law like the conscience protection act, but plainly we do. And one, one of the neat things I, I really wish that I'd been here, uh, to, to be a part of some of these events was, uh, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops brought in several of the nurses, you know, who are you know victims of this kind of discrimination. That you know, where they've been in context where, you know, their hospital has has told them participate in this or you're going to lose your job. Yep. You know, I think it's it's important to put a you know in in D.C. a lot of times you know there are policy proposals which are uh, solutions in one of a problem. Uh, right. But this is something that is actually a problem. Yeah. And and we got to meet some of those ladies last week. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, so the Conscience Protection Act, it's, it is the status of it, right, Matt? It was included in the House version of the appropriations bill. Correct. was not included in the Senate. Yeah. And neither of these bills will be passed in a regular order sort of appropriations deal. But those two bills are sort of the baseline of negotiation. So, yeah. so it's now it's a question. A big end of year, you know legislative push. Right, exactly. Must pass legislation. Right. So right. So the, the the funding for the government runs out on December eighth. And so this is one of those items that we are pushing for, we'll hoping and are hoping will be included uh in that final um uh spending yeah. bill. And and part of the push for the timeline uh is the fact that people are experiencing this right yeah. now. Right, exactly. Um, people are experiencing this discrimination and uh the federal government needs to weigh in. So it's not like I mean, sure they could take it up the next session, but like this is a real problem, as you mentioned. Right now, people need relief, um, so let's get this taken care of. Yeah. So the last issue we wanted to talk about is uh, is immigration, the solution for Dreamers. Jeff, you you had a number of really high level meetings last yeah. week. You had a number of uh, meetings with, that happened to be with members uh, right. last week, and there was also an article that Axios put out this morning about kind of the state of play in negotiations. But talk sure. to us a little about where where things stand right now, and and what are you seeing after these meetings you had last week. Right. So uh, th- this has been an issue all fall, uh, what to do about about the population of undocumented immigrants who came here to this country by no fault of their own when they were minors, some as young as a few months old, maybe yeah. even. Many dreamers don't even – and I'm referring to this this population as, as dreamers uh, don't know that they aren't here in the country legally until it comes time to get a driver's yeah. license or yeah. apply, apply for, for college. college. Yeah. Yeah. And then the reality of the situation comes down on them. And so um, that issue is now, again, on Capitol Hill before Congress. And there are uh, – Speaker Ryan has a working group that he's put together. There are lots of other working groups uh, basically on 
on. So Axios said this morning in both wings of both parties uh, talking about this issue. And the main thing um, that that we're seeing when we sit down with a member of Congress is a calculation going on in their head about how much immigration reform can fit as paired with a solution for this population of undocumented immigrants. Right. Um, what is neat is that there, there really does seem to be consensus on the Hill that a solution, a solution has to happen. We have to get to a solution for this population. Um, mainly out of a business interest of all of these work permits expiring if the program, if and when the program expires in March. 1,400 work permits 1,400 work permits every day. That means companies are going to be forced to lay people off if they no longer yep. are eligible to work. So, yep. so you know, the, the business interest is obviously compelling, but, but, but also the justice and the moral and we would say biblical case uh, for needing to, needing to come to a solution is really important. And there's a lot of consensus and members are all working toward that same goal, but they're coming at it from, from different, uh, from different starting points, wondering what all is going to be a part of this. What sort of border security package is going to be a part of the solution? What sort of other immigration reform looking at interior enforcement, looking at visas? Um, really, you just kind of have, uh, have a lot of different things on the table being discussed right now. And what's going to get increasingly interesting as we are now in November and December is next year and we're getting to end of the year uh, legislation is if a dreamer solution gets tacked onto the end of the year spending bill. Could yeah, be spending an omnibus, bill we were just talking about. Could yeah. be a CR. Right. So, um, you know, the, the Axios piece this morning was sort of discussing how on the left, Democrats really want to see a solution sooner rather than later and are positioning themselves in such a way that they might be interested in shutting the government down if if a dreamer solution doesn't happen. And so that, you know, we talk about pressurized situations that sort of moves legislation forward or stops it in its tracks. This is one of those pressure points that we'll see as we get closer to December if that's actually the case or if that's just Washington chatter. Yeah, right. Um, on the other side, you have a lot of a lot of members on the right, on the Republican side of the aisle, who view this opportunity as an opportunity to get some other fixes done in our immigration system. Yeah, score some points. It basically becomes a vehicle that they can attach other other immigration right and items. things that I mean things that they've cared about for a long time, but there's been no political will to move. Sure. Um, but one thing that is funny for any member who's been here for long enough to have gone through some of the comprehensive immigration reform <laughs> discussions, again, it's going to be a balancing act of not letting this thing collapse under its own weight if it, com- if it becomes too comprehensive uh, and then we, we don't get to a solution. Yep. So, Because everybody understands the political realities, the compromise, the – the political uh, agreement is going to include something more than just a DACA fix. Right. Um, is, and it, it is, as well as it should. How, yeah, it should. And it's what, what we've agreed to. Yeah. I mean, um, just, sir, I mean, I think, you know, looking at it from a policy standpoint, sorry to cut you off. I mean, but looking at it from a policy standpoint, if you're going to provide a permanent legal status or citizenship or some kind of permanent solution for this right. category of immigrants, you also have to deal with the implications of, are you creating an incentive exactly for right. for other you know for increased immigration or or even worse for families to send their children yeah, right. uh, to the United States unaccompanied? I mean, the, these are real challenges that you have to address, right. and that a, a 
so-called clean dream, a dream bill that doesn't include some of these other border security elements doesn't address. And, you know, I think, you know, setting aside sort of the the politics of the matter, um, I mean, it is good policy to address all of these things uh, at the same time. But I think, and sorry, so I'll let you finish. (laughs) Uh, The question is how much gets tacked on. Right. And how much can be tacked on without, like Jeff said, the whole thing collapsing under its own weight? Yeah, so, right. I heard I heard one staffer quip that if if too much of this, he said, this is sounding too much like comprehensive immigration reform. <laughs> right. And if we get there, I might run out that door right now and not come back. Exactly. Yeah, right. Well, and and I think one one of the things that was interesting to me about the Axios piece is. I, I have sensed a little bit of a disconnect between the edges of the spectrum in in terms of the question about who has more bargaining power. And of course, nobody's going to say, you know, well, we we recognize we have a lack of leverage in this situation. <laughs> right? No, nobody's going to acknowledge that plainly. But um, but it is a it is a fact that one side has more leverage than the other. And the fact that both sides think that they have maximal leverage does strike me as a potential problem going into the negotiation if neither neither side is willing to blink. You know, Jeff, you brought up the the possibility of a government shutdown. You know, I don't really know if the Democrats are are actually going to be willing to. Right. They've been saying that they are are willing to shut the government down. Right. I you know they've I'd, been saying that this issue is one of of that level of importance. Right. Exactly. I mean, you know, to be honest, I think that a lot of Democrats would be more than happy to let this fail and allow this to become a 2018 election issue. One, one of the things that, that has concerned me about this is that you have not only the politics of the border enforcement or interior enforcement weighing this thing down on the right, you also have the the politics on the on the dreamer fix weighing this thing down in the sense that you know I, I just I'm I am very concerned that some on the left will very cynically look at this as an opportunity to let the thing collapse, blame it on the Republicans and, and move things, yeah. you know, move, move the argument into the 2018 election, which obviously does nothing for these kids. Right? And, and I think that there's a recognition of that fear on the Republican side of the aisle uh, in such a way that they know that even politically speaking for them, getting to claim this as a policy victory for the Republican Party right is worth it and is worth moving. And so there's there's like there's that weird sort of seesaw effect of if one side says, you know, one side that historically has really carried the banner for this uh for for the dreamer issue. I mean, um Yeah, it's a it's a bipartisan for issue. Years, right. But it's but it's, but right. it's, an associ- it's an issue that's more closely associated with the left. Right, exactly. It's it's uh there's like this interesting sort of back and forth that now that the win could potentially be in the rights uh, column, right? Um, that would that would push them to uh, to be sure that that they are the ones who are able to claim victory for this policy. And and the only thing that 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 gives me fear about that is that in the Senate you're still going to need at least eight Democrats yeah. to vote for this, and you're going to have to vote for the whole right. spending bill. And so you know the the challenge is. Is the, you know, is the Democratic conference in the Senate going to be willing to give that win to the Republican Party? And if they are going to be willing to do that, what what are they going to demand in return for that? Yeah. Yep. Well, Jeff, I do want to give you an opportunity to pitch what you've been working on recently. You are now accepting applications for what? 
Yeah, that's right. For our internship program uh, here in here in DC, uh, we're still accepting applications for spring 2018 as well as summer 2018. And if you're just really thinking ahead, why not for fall 2018 as well? I can't promise I'll get back to you super quick (laughs) with an answer, but uh, but yeah, that's right, Matt. So um, as you know, uh, developing the next generation of leaders uh, in the courtroom, in the classroom, in uh, the halls of Capitol Hill, um, and in and in churches across the nation is a big passion of ours at the ERLC. Yep. And uh, so we're accepting applications right now. I was actually just uh, just had an interview before we stepped down here into into the studio. Great. Um, so if you are interested in applying or just interested in learning more about our internship, what we offer, uh, go to erlc.com slash internships uh, to, to learn more and to see how to apply. And uh, just like our summer cohort, I think we're interested, like you said, um, people who have a wide range of vocational interests from policy and politics to academia to law to local church ministry. We, right. we had a cross-section of all those, right? We did. And, it, and it's been neat to see even in the, the months immediately after um, this, this summer's group to see where all they have ended up. We have some at seminary. We have some in law school. We have some uh, still here in D.C. working for uh, a think tank. Uh, we have some in local church ministry back, uh, you know, back in their hometown. Um, so we, we want to, uh, spend time with, with young leaders, spend a couple of months, a semester, maybe a year with young leaders who are either nearing their college graduation or, uh, maybe they're taking a gap semester in between graduation and a job, or maybe they're in seminary or law school or some other, uh, secondary, um, degree plan. To come spend some time with us to learn what it looks like to apply a biblical ethic and a kingdom-focused gospel uh, worldview to matters of public policy. And if you are at all interested in what we do at the ERLC, uh, we would love to have a conversation with you about what it would look like to link up with us uh, for a period of time for an internship. Great. It's under the About section of ERLC.com, or you can just do your standard Google search for ERLC internship, then you'll get all the information you need. This episode has been brought to you by the 2018 Evangelicals for Life Conference. You as a Capital Conversations podcast listener can get 20% off. That's January in Washington, D.C. Join us for the Evangelicals for Life Conference with our friends Focus on the Family. Learn more at evangelicals.life. That's evangelicals.life. This has been Capital Conversations, a podcast of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Special thanks to Gary Lancaster for editing the audio and Marie Delph for getting this posted online. Show notes for this episode are available at ERLC.com, along with additional podcasts and other resources to equip you and your church. Congratulations, Jeff and Gary, on the Astros winning the World Series. Go Stros. Go Stros.